secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord but you don't really care for music do ya it goes like this the fourth, the fifth the minor fall the major lift the baffled king composing There's a blaze of light in every 
wasn't much I couldn't feel so I tried to touch I've told the truth I didn't come to fool ya And even though it all went wrong I'll stand before the Lord of song With nothing on my tongue But hallelujah And hallelujah 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 It's Easter, and I'm supposed to preach. Now, I suspect some people don't even want to be here. Their relatives drug them here, and now their relatives are praying to you that I wouldn't screw up. <laughs> and God, I suspect some people are already disappointed because... Um, I'm not a character this year like I was last year. I'm just me trying to talk about you on Easter. Hallelujah, praise God, and all, all that. Well, God, then you better help me. You better help us. Because sometimes, God, sometimes I feel abandoned by you. I feel abandoned by you and I don't, I don't know where you are. Why you're so far from helping me. I cry out to you and uh, you don't answer. I, I lie on my bed at night awake and I can't find rest. You're holy and so they sing hallelujah, praise the Lord. Big churches on TV and you help them. But I'm a worm. Not human. I know. They despise me. They mock me. They say, look what God has done. Look how God delights in him. Look what God has uh, done for me, him. Why? Why have you forsaken me? Amen. You ever prayed a prayer like that? Raise your hand, look around. Seems kind of inappropriate, huh? I mean, kind of like it strikes the wrong note on Easter. Well, there may be no more appropriate prayer than that prayer, actually, on Easter. That's Psalm 22, verse 1 through 8. Just, just paraphrased a bit. Psalm 22, a psalm of David. I heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do ya? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. That's King David, Psalm 22. Let's read it. Uh, the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn. 
You know, a psalm is a song, and the psalms are actually the songbook of ancient Israel, and they sung this one to the tune of the doe of the dong. They sung it in worship in the temple. For a thousand years, they sang what I just prayed. Psalm 22, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. By night, and I find no rest. Yet you're holy, enthroned. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. He's enthroned on praise, literally on hallelujah. That's what it means, hallel, praise, yah, the Lord, praise the Lord. That's what, that's what it means. That's what he uh, chooses, by the way. Isn't that something? That's what he chooses. Chooses, that's what the Lord chooses for his throne. Not riches, not power, but hallelujahs. Verse four, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you, you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And in you they put their trust and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm, not a man. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me, they mock at me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And David goes on like that. They all sang it. David wrote it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you? Imagine, he thought that God did not hear when he wrote that. He thought that God did not know. I wonder where he was when, when he wrote that, when he cried out like that, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? Maybe he was in the cave of Adullam, remember? When King Saul forsook him. David lost everything, hid in the cave of Adullam, buried in betrayal and rejection. You ever been there? Maybe he was lying on the ground in his house, buried in shame, forsaken by his own hard heart. Remember, Nathan the prophet confronted him saying, you are the man. You are the adulterer. You are the murderer. You are the one who took Bathsheba and murdered Uriah. And now the son of David will die. Maybe he was an old man. Fleeing into the woods, fleeing Jerusalem, fleeing Absalom, his son, who had murdered Amnon, his other son, Absalom's brother, and uh, stolen the throne from his father and raped his father's wives on, on the roof. And so David was forsaken by his own flesh and blood. Maybe David was in hell. And that's what the Psalms say. Psalm 18, the cords of Sheol, hell entangled me. Psalm 30 and 86, he writes that his soul was in hell. Psalm 31, 9, if I make my bed in hell. You ever feel like David? Forsaken by everything. Forsaken by yourself. Forsaken by God. Forsaken. That must be hell, the deep, the abyss, Sheol. In Psalm 6, David writes, in hell, who will give you halal, praise? Solomon writes, there is no work, thought, wisdom, or knowledge in hell to which you are going. That's encouraging, huh? Think about it, it must be hard to pray in hell, impossible to sing in hell. And yet Psalm 22 is a song and a prayer and it sounds like it comes from hell. How do you sing about heaven when you feel like hell? I have this memory stuck in my brain, seriously. I think about it quite a bit. I've chewed on it for 17 years, wondering if God was trying to tell me something. I remember my three-year-old daughter, Becky, standing in front of the TV, this happened quite a bit, I think, standing in front of the TV, watching The Little Mermaid and screaming. K 
Keep singing, Ariel. Keep singing. Keep singing, Ariel. Must have been at the end of the movie when Ariel gets her voice back. Because at the start of the movie, Ariel loses it to the sea witch. Actually, she trades it for legs because she wants to be human, because she's fallen in love with a prince who's heard her singing by the sea. And so the witch tempts Ariel to make herself in the image of the prince so she can live in his world and become his bride. She has three days to win his love or forfeit her soul to the witch's prison in the depths of the sea. Go ahead, make your choice. I'm a very busy woman and I haven't got all day. It won't cost much, just your voice. Your poor unfortunate soul. It's sad, but true. If you want to cross a bridge, my sweet, you've got to pay the toll. Take a gulp and take a breath and go ahead and sign the scroll. Flop some jets up, now I've got her, boys. The boss is on a roll. So she tries to make herself in the image of the prince, and it works, except she has no voice. She has no word. She has no song, and so the prince doesn't know her. <laughs> you know, we, we were tempted to make ourselves in the image of God, and it worked. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, you can read it. It worked, except... We have no voice, no word, no song. To use biblical terms, we have knowledge, but no faithfulness. No love, no faithful love. We can't speak the language of the kingdom of heaven. If we can't speak the word and we can't sing the song, the prince might just say, depart from me. I never knew you. Well, the sea witch said, keep singing. For she wanted to take Ariel's voice from her. But Becky yelled when Ariel was getting her, her voice back. Toward the end of the movie, all hell was breaking loose. The sun was going down. The sea witch had just about trapped Ariel, her father, and the prince in hell. But Ariel got her voice back, started singing, and that's when Becky would stand in front of the TV yelling, Keep singing, Ariel! Keep singing! Well, how do you sing? when you feel like hell, in the midst of hell? How did David sing in hell? How did Jonah pray in hell? Jonah chapter two, verses one and two. The belly of the fish was the belly of Sheol. In the beast, in the bottom of the sea, Jonah was in hell. Three days and three nights in hell. How do you sing, how do you pray in hell? Do you believe in hell? No, you don't. Of course you don't. Now, you may believe there is a hell, but no one believes in hell. That's what makes it hell. Hell is not believing. Like Solomon said, there is no thought, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol, hell. In Scripture, uh, belief, you see, means trust, and trust means 
faith. Faith in nothing is to be entirely alone, and, and that's hell. No one believes in hell, except, of course, for one, and only one, and he believes, he prays, he sings in hell, and it's called Easter. Now, when I say you don't believe in hell, I'm referring, of course, to hell number one. In Scripture, there are at least three different realities that we Americans often refer to with the one English word, hell. The first reality, you cannot believe in. The second reality is belief itself, and the third is the boundary between the other two. The Bible uses the biblical word, or the Hebrew word, sheol, or the Greek word, Hades, in order to describe hell number one, outer darkness, where men weep and gnash their teeth. And so I want you to, I want you to think of it right here, okay? Hell number one, darkness, death, lies, which is separation from light and life and truth, and God is truth. The chief punishment of a liar is not that he is no longer believed, but that he can no longer believe. You catch that? The chief punishment of a liar is not that he is no longer believed, but that he can no longer believe. Hell number one is a prison of lies, hiding people from truth, and, and, and God is truth, and, and that means a person there can, can no longer connect. He's isolated, alone, in a, in a prison of self. This place is chaos and the void. Absence, not substance. Desecration, not creation. In hell there is no music, writes Calvin Miller. An agonizing night, as songless as a shuttered violin. The sound of harpists, musicians, flute players, and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, writes John in, in the Revelation. No singing, <laughs> no faith, no hope, no love. And all feel forsaken. Hell number one. Think of it here. And now, think of hell number two right here. Hell number two is fire. But scripture is clear, our God is a consuming fire. So it's not the experience of his absence. It's more like the manifestation of his presence. It's light, light that burns darkness. It's life that rises uh, from the dead. It's truth that consumes lies. It's love that binds everything together and casts out fear. And God is light and life and truth and love. God is fire. And God speaks his word, God speaks his logos into the chaos. He speaks his substance into the absence, himself into the void, making, creating all things and then filling all things with himself. Holy fire. The finished creation is creation filled with God, completed by God. You know, in J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, novels, God sings creation into existence. And he sings all disharmony into harmony in the end. In C.S. Lewis's novels, uh, Aslan the Lion, he sings uh, Narnia into existence. In scripture, they do that because in scripture, God sings all things into existence. He, he speaks a word and that word is the logos. It's the logic. Music is logic. Did you know that? It's complicated harmonies of meaning. Even physicists say all creation is the manifestation of vibrations on these like super strings vibrating in multiple, like 12 dimensions. Well, God sings creation into existence. And he still is. And so all discord he will harmonize to himself with his song, his word. All emptiness he will fill with his spirit, and his spirit is fire. So, so in the new Jerusalem, in, in the new heaven, the new earth, all sorrow is turned into joy. All sin is filled with grace, and, and everyone sings 
It's all singing. And God is literally enthroned upon the hallelujahs. You can read it in Revelation chapter five. He's enthroned on the hallelujahs as, as a lamb, looking as if it had been slaughtered, standing as a lamb that had been slaughtered. That's hell number two. You know, a better word for hell number two is probably heaven. It's all things filled with God, and God is eternal. So check this place out. This, this place is eternal. Eternal. And this place is temporal. It exists in time, in the afterlife in the depths of the earth. And yet it begins on the surface of the earth while we still walk the earth. You know, David wrote, my soul, I was entangled. I was entangled. The cords of hell of Sheol entangled me. Hell number one is temporal. Hell number two is eternal. And check this out. Hell number one gets destroyed by hell number two. Hades gets destroyed by heaven. Revelation 20, 14. Uh, then death and Hades, hell number one, were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire and Theon, or divinity, hell number two, and 21, four, death will be no more. In other words, one day, this whole earth will just be flooded with fire, holy fire. It's happening already. You know when it started? Pentecost. Well, anyway, hell number one, think of it over here. Hell number two, think of it right here. Hell number three, think of it right here between the other two. It's the dividing line between the other two, the boundary between hell and heaven, hell number three. A better word for hell number three is judgment. It's the place where heaven burns hell. The place where the new creation devours this fallen creation, where the kingdom of God defeats the kingdom of this world. You know, on Palm Sunday, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. And he was talking about his cross. He was crucified just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. And you remember, Jerusalem becomes his bride. New Jerusalem is his bride. Just outside the walls of Jerusalem was Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom, the boundary between Jerusalem and this world, the place where the Jews burn their trash, the place where the faithfulness of God consumes the faithlessness of this world. The edge of Jerusalem. Hey, check this out. Did you know that Ariel is another name for Jerusalem? It's in Isaiah. You can go find it in Isaiah. Ariel means lioness of God. And check this out. Jesus is, is a lion. Well, 2,000 years ago, Ariel had completely lost her voice. And the voice of God, the word of God, the lion of Judah, Jesus the Christ, hung nailed to a tree just outside her city walls. <laughs> oh, Ariel, how do you sing about heaven when you feel like hell? How do you sing hallelujah when you feel forsaken? Did Jesus ever feel forsaken? St. Paul writes that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. St. Peter writes that he preached to the spirits in prison, preached gospel even to the dead. St. Matthew writes that as Jesus hung on that tree, a great darkness covered the land from noon until three, and then Jesus began to sing. And when he sung, the earth began to shake. The veil in the temple, it ripped from top to the bottom, and the tombs in the city were opened. Did you realize that, that Jesus sang on the cross? 
And even more, do you realize he sang what David wrote? He cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I really believe he felt forsaken for he was in hell. He was in my hell, he was in your hell, he was in Ariel's hell, Jerusalem's hell, he was in David's hell. So he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But not just because he felt forsaken. He was referencing a song. A song they all knew. A song that they had sung for a thousand years. You see, in Jesus' day, they didn't have chapter and, and verse in the Bible or in the songbook, the book of Psalms. And so when someone would reference a song, they would just recite the first line of that song. That's the way the Jews did it in that day. They would recite the first line of the song and they would expect you to know it and sing along. So check this out. On the cross... Jesus quotes David and sings his song. But to be even more accurate, sometime around 1000 BC, probably in some cave somewhere, David quotes Jesus and sings his song, sung on the cross. You know, Scripture does say he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the eternal word spoken into this temporal void. Jesus sings, and he sings in hell. Let's read it. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day and you don't answer. By night and I find no rest. And, and you are holy, you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I'm a worm, not a man. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. He delights in him. And yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of passion surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening, roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it's melting in my chest. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws and you, you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs encompass me. That's how they referred to the Gentiles. A company of evildoers, the Sanhedrin, encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Pierced my hands and my feet. Do you realize that exact phrasing is in uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, of which we have manuscripts carbon dated like 100 years before the time of Christ and written, written long before the Jews even knew what crucifixion was. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they, they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you, hallelujah. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard him when he cried to him. Did you catch that? Jesus felt forsaken, and yet he just sang that he was not forsaken. That's faith. Faith in who his father is. And his father didn't turn his face away. Paul says it. In fact, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Couldn't have been closer, it seems. So the father sees sinners. 
You see, it's sinners that cannot see the Father. The Father saw Jesus, but Jesus no longer saw his Father. Why? Because he was blinded by sin. Our sin, our hell. We create hell by covering our eyes and uh, covering our ears. God, good, beats upon the damned incessantly, writes C.S. Lewis. As sound waves beat on the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Their fists are clenched, their teeth are clenched, their eyes fast shut. First they will not, and in the end they cannot open their hands for gifts or their mouths for food or their eyes to see. Then no one can ever reach them Someone asks. Only the greatest of all, only the greatest of all can make himself small enough to enter hell. Jesus is the greatest of all. And he emptied himself to enter my heart, to enter your heart, to enter my hell. I hope you see that the death of Jesus on the cross was not what God needed in order to love you. The death of Jesus on the cross was what you needed in order to love him. That is to see him and to know him and to sing hallelujah to him from the depths of your heart. Next line. From you, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, like Isaiah and Paul write. Before him, every knee will bow, every tongue will give praise, hallel, hallelujah. Every tongue will sing hallelujah. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. It is finished. That's the end of the song. It's finished. Scripture tells us that just before Jesus died, he gave out a, a, a great cry. It is finished. And then, and then he delivered up his spirit. His spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the holy fire. That's the word of God. That's the voice of God. And it, and it descends. It rises to the Father and then it descends into Ariel, the church, the bride at Pentecost as she begins to sing. Hallelujah. It descends on Jerusalem as she gathers in the temple and sings Psalm 22, 3,000 3, years ago. It descends on David as he sits in some cave, feeling forsaken, but speaking his heart to God, writing his heart to God. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? It descends on us as we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, says Scripture. Seems like a long time ago now. When, when each of my children were infants, I did this, I mean, and I didn't even have to think about it or it just came naturally, but I remember I would do this. I would hold each of them in my arms and I'd just, I'd start singing. Say Dada. <laughs> dada, da, Daddy, say, say, say it, Dada, 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 Dada. You see, I would, I would give them my word. The word. Now, when a Hebrew father would do that, he would say, Abba. Say, Abba, 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 Abba. Say, say, Abba. Means daddy. Say, Abba. See, Jesus is how our father gives us his word. 
Jesus is God's word given to us so we can speak the hallelujah, so we can learn the language of heaven, so we can sing the song that is heaven. You know, as my infants, my children, they were surrounded by me, but they couldn't truly commune with me until they received my word and spoke it back. Abba, Daddy. We may be surrounded by heaven. The kingdom of heaven is, is at hand, but until we receive God's word and speak God's word, we remain alone. And to be thoroughly alone is hell. God's word is Jesus. It means God saves. The language of heaven is grace and the song is hallelujah. Hell is temporal, but the song is eternal. God's the singer and Jesus is the song. So from the cross, the song descends upon the church, upon Jerusalem, it descends upon David, it descends upon Jonah in the belly of the beast, in the depths of the sea, in hell. And you know what happens? Jonah starts to pray. Jonah starts to sing. It's Jonah chapter two, you can read it. it it's an awful lot like Psalm 22. It ends with, with this line, salvation belongs to the Lord. The word descends upon Jonah in the belly of the beast. Jonah starts to sing and the beast can't stomach the sound. And so vomits Jonah up onto the dry land at the cross. Christ's divinity was hidden under his humanity like a fishhook under bait, writes St. Gregory of Nyssa in 395 AD. And Satan, like a ravenous fish, gulped it down. At the cross, hell swallowed heaven, and heaven would not stop singing. Satan swallowed the song, and Jesus shattered the dominion of hell like a singer shatters glass in a glass house with his song. Jesus sings and shatters our hearts, our hard hearts. You see, whatever will not vibrate, whatever will not move to the resonant frequencies of the kingdom of God will be shattered by the sound of hallelujah. And so the Israelites sang, and the walls came tumbling down. Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail sang, and the earth shook and the doors flew open. Jesus the Christ sang on the tree, and the earth began to shake, and the tombs were open. You see, the song breaks the power of hell. And yet, it's in hell, or at least at the edge of hell, that we learn the song. It's on the hill of the skull at the foot of the cross that we meet the singer and his song. It's at the end of the sixth day that we find our voice or he finds us. The, the sixth day, I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do ya? It goes like this, uh, the fourth, the fifth. I'm not a very good singer. But it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift. Did you know music is, is based on a, on a seven chord scale? Like the seven days of creation? In a major chord, we hear a perfect harmony. But in a minor chord, one note is a half step off. So a minor chord makes us long for a major chord. A minor chord makes us long for harmony, for completion. You don't really care for music, do ya? It goes like this, the fourth. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth. The minor fall. It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth. The minor fall, the, the minor fall, the, the, the minor fall. You see, the minor fall on the sixth chord makes you long for the seventh chord. The fall on the, on the sixth day makes us long for the seventh day. 
You know, Scripture reveals, I really think that we're all living in the sixth day of creation, still being made in God's image and learning to long for the seventh day, which is God's rest. Well, anyway, at, at, the, at the minor fall, at the minor fall, David didn't stop singing. Because Jesus didn't stop singing. David played the chord. He surrendered the discord. He played the secret chord, and it pleased the Lord. The, the minor chord, he surrendered his pain, shame, and sorrow. He's saying, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And Jesus met him there at the end of the sixth day, the sixth chord. Jesus met him there and finished the song singing discord into harmony, turning sin into grace, forsakenness into faith. And David knew, then David knew he could not write that song. He could not finish that song, but that song finished David. A baffled king composing hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that wild? And maybe you're a baffled king composing hallelujah. Hallelujah, the very throne of God. Well, anyway, it happened when David felt forsaken. It happened when David was stripped of all of his power, his honor, and his glory. It happened when David failed. When David's world failed, when David thought his God failed, it happened there in those caves, writes Gene Edwards, there in those caves, drowned in the sorrow, sorrow of his song and in the, the song of his sorrow, there in those caves, David very simply became the greatest hymn writer and the greatest comforter of broken hearts that this world shall ever know. But of course, we know 3,000 years later, it really wasn't David. It was Jesus in David. It was Easter in David. It was Jesus rising in David's hell. Easter. David learned to sing the song in hell. See, there's a reason for the cave. There's a reason for the bottom of the sea and the outer darkness. It's, it's there we learn to sing the song. It's the same song that holds the stars in the sky. It's the same song that opens every lily in the field, but we can't hear it or know it till we see it, see him shining in the darkness. It's the darkness that makes you long for the light. It's shame that makes you long for mercy. It's despair that makes us long for love. And surrendered despair, you see, is a prayer. God save, Yeshua, Jesus, the name of Jesus. So surrendered despair is a prayer. It's praise to the Savior. It, it, it is the Savior. So, well, just think about it. This is, this is just wild. David really did feel forsaken. I mean, I really think he felt, David, he really felt forsaken, and yet he was so entirely not forsaken. For God was in Christ, in David, singing David's feelings of despair. And so David spoke the word of God as the word of God spoke David. I mean, it was like they died together and then rose from the grave together. I mean, it really is too difficult for words. And so I'm going to paint a picture. The picture is a story. It's a true story. Happened several years ago, about three in the morning in my house and in our living room. Susan and I were praying with a friend who had battled hell and the prince of darkness all her life. Her father had been a Satanist. He was dead by this time, Satanist. And she had been subjected to torments and horrors just beyond anything that you can imagine. We'd seen God do miracles and drive out demons, but this night God revealed some memories, exposed some horrors that my friend really just could not bear. At one point, I remember, she just fell off the couch. 
Jesus fell off the couch, writhing on the floor, and she cried out, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. And I froze. I literally had no voice. She felt forsaken by God. And I felt forsaken by God. I had no explanation. I had nothing to say. And then I had a thought. I remember it terrified me. And I wondered if I was even allowed to say it or anyone was even allowed uh, to speak it. But I grabbed her head. I remember she was lying on the floor just writhing. And I grabbed her head and I put my mouth right next to her ear and I said, say this, say this, say this. Repeat it after me. Say this, say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And she did. She just screamed it. And then all at once, she froze. And I knew she was having a vision. She froze and then she melted. And then she told me the vision. She said, all at once, all at once, I saw myself. I saw my, my old self, my sinful self, that self I've despised. I saw that self nailed to the cross. And then I saw my religious self, my church lady self that condemned that old self and she was nailed on top of that first self to the same cross. And then I saw Jesus and Jesus was nailed to the both of us, nailed to the cross. And then I just watched as we died, we died. And then all at once I saw myself standing at the foot of the cross, clothed in a beautiful white wedding gown. So even though she felt forsaken by God, imprisoned in hell and defeated by Satan, she surrendered her despair in the form of a prayer, and you see, that's called faith. And that's not of herself. It's not of myself. That song is a gift. It's the word of God rising in her grave. Well, my friend's name is Ariel whether she knows it or not. New Jerusalem, bride of Christ, who's found her voice. Or I should say, her voice found her. It was you all the time. Oh, Eric, I, I wanted to tell you. Eric, no! And so Ariel finds her voice, sings for her prince. Ariel finds her voice. And we find our voice at the cross. So Ariel finds her voice, but that's when the sea witch really gets angry. Furious, as if, you know, thrown down to earth in a fury. She gets furious. And so together now, Ariel and the prince still must do battle. Together, they must do battle. And that's when Becky would start yelling at the TV, standing in front of the TV, screaming, keep singing, Ariel, keep singing. And you see, I think that's what God was saying to me. And I think that's what he's saying to us. Keep singing, Ariel. Keep singing. Keep singing, church. Keep singing. Keep singing until you see that the song is finished. I started it. I finished it. The song becomes eternal, but I'm calling you to sing it here with me now in this place, in this time, in this world. The pain's temporal, but the song is eternal. So in the end, Ariel gets her legs and her voice by grace. And in the end, we're made in the image of God and speak the word of God by grace. 
In the end, we know the good and freely, freely, from the depths of our heart, with all that we have, choose the good. And that's our Lord, by, our, by the way. <laughs> and he himself is the song. So how do you sing about heaven when you feel like hell? Well, on the night that he was betrayed, in the worst of all places, at the worst of all times, Jesus the Prince took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant, the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. This cup is the fire and this cup is the song. So do you feel forsaken? I mean, just, just maybe a little bit. Do you feel forsaken? Maybe you feel forsaken by yourself, like you did something and you're so ashamed, you go, I can't talk to God. Maybe you were forsaken by some, somebody else and, and you just feel like crap. You go, I can't talk to God. Maybe uh, you feel forsaken by God and you're thinking, I don't want to talk to God. You feel forsaken. There's a reason that you feel forsaken. It's so that you could see this. And seeing this, you could meet the prince and let him finish the song. So, so do this for me, would you? Would you just close your eyes and tell him just tell him. You realize you can always talk to him? Because he is wherever you are because he descended into the depths of the earth and even the depths of your heart wherever you are you can talk to God in the name of Jesus tell him now Open your eyes and look. You see this? Do you feel forsaken? He's forsaken. With you. And that means you are most truly and really not forsaken. Behold, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he says. And so look at him. Believe him. And sing his song. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For who you are. We invite you to come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. Dark cup is wine, the light cup is juice. After you take communion, there'll be members of our prayer ministry team in each corner. They'd love to pray with you if you'd like to pray with them. But do you see what this is, Ariel? You come forward and receive the song. You ingest the song. Jesus says, I want you to know the song. Ingest me. Ingest the song. And then sing the song. Hallelujah. He's risen. Yes, he's risen indeed, and he's rising in you. He's risen in you, and he's rising in all of you.
all the parts of you, every dark corner of you. So when you get confused, when you get bewildered, when it feels like hell, you just remembered. You're a baffled king composing hallelujah. So keep singing, Ariel. Keep singing. Don't stop singing. Keep singing. In Jesus' name, amen.